0: Jesus said to the 12, fear no one. Nothing is concealed that will not be revealed, nor secret that will not be known. What I say to you in the darkness, speak in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim to the housetops. And do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one Who can destroy both soul and body in Gehenna? Are not two sparrows sold for a small coin? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's knowledge. Even all the hairs of your head are counted. So do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Everyone who acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my heavenly father. But whoever denies me before others, I will deny before my Heavenly Father. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, we enter this Gospel that we just read, kind of midstream, in the middle of Jesus' speech in Matthew 10. And Christ is giving his 12 apostles now their instructions before they go out on their first missionary journey. And the most striking thing about these instructions is the warning, right? In this passage, Jesus tells them not to be afraid. And he says it three times. Don't be afraid. Now, Jesus wouldn't have insisted on this if there wasn't a need for them to hear this perhaps he read in their eyes they're afraid you know he's told them you're going to go out two by two to prepare the way for me and maybe they got a little nervous if i just told you okay after mass everyone we're going to do a mission and we're all going to go down to greenwich avenue and i want you to just stop people on the street and start talking to them about jesus witness to your faith you might be like oh i don't know I don't know if I'm capable of that, right? Or, you know, I, I just prefer to pray. They, they were afraid, perhaps also because they knew the territories they were going were close to the Samaritans, where they'd receive even some physical threats. They were afraid. Because they go out in Christ's name to spread the gospel in word and deed, Jesus also foresees they're going to run into difficulties, right? He's warning them that they will meet persecution and hardship, just as he knows he will in his passion. So he's warning them that their Christian mission will demand courage, even at times heroic courage, perseverance, right? Fidelity, as they constantly face suffering, maybe calumny, mockery, opposition. They're going to run into people that will want to oppose them, even destroy them, humiliate them. And in the extreme, but all too common in the world kill them just because they bear Christ's name and are trying to spread his message. I said all too common in the world because I read a a study this week briefly, but uh, it purported that one in seven Christians are persecuted for their faith. So these verses also immediately precede a passage where he's even more explicit. We didn't read him today, but you'll recall when he said, beware the men they will hand you over to Sanhedrin, scourge you in their synagogues, will be dragged before governors, right? You'll be hated all." These are all the phrases that come right before what we read today. So those warnings certainly apply to those 12 apostles who will go out. But the word of God spoken to them and written down and recorded is also for all of us, right? We too, uh, as Christians, enter into this risk, right, of being a Christian. Being a Christian isn't like joining a club, right, where there's only benefits as long as you're willing to pay the dues, right? You get all. I think I'll join that club because then I'll be able to do all this, right? I'll have these possibilities, right? I'll join this club, right? we have this common interest, so I'm going to join. The chess club. That way I get to play chess with great chess players and get better, right? There's something that interests me, so I'm willing to pay and I'll join and get the benefit. As Christians, we definitely get the benefit, right? Baptism, and heaven, and grace, and relationship with God, and intimacy with Christ, and great people around us, fellow Christians. But we also get some of the downsides, so to speak, or the upside seen with faith, which is the cross and suffering. We're in a spiritual battle. And that's what Jesus is preparing his apostles to understand. When you go out on my behalf, you'll be entering into a battle. The battle is certainly within themselves, that they are faithful to this calling they've received in Christ. So to overcome that personal resistance they might feel, the battle to follow their conscience and what Jesus is teaching, but also a battle with External forces with the world they're entering to transform, to change. So truly following Christ, building up his kingdom, is engaging in a battle with times, the powers of darkness as they're expressed in our own heart or with the world, right? It shouldn't surprise us. I listened also this week to a podcast by Father Carlos Martins, um, exorcist in and what caught my attention was one thing he said in fact, I, I had to fact-check it for a second is he affirmed that when you're born, who do you belong to? Like, and I said, "Well, your parents and, and God." And he said, "Well, certainly, by order of nature, yes, you belong to your parents, right? But spiritually, who do you belong to?" And his affirmation was, "Well, when you're born, you are in, belong to the world of sin and the devil, until you're baptized and adopted and incorporated into the church, into the body of Christ, receive grace, your original sin is forgiven, you belong to that kingdom. And I was like, whoa, that's true. We don't think of it often, but it's true. We're born into that, what second reading says, Adam's sin. That's why Christ came, right? If that weren't true, why did Jesus have to come? To save us, save us from what? From being okay? (laughs) No, because we belonged, thanks to sin, to the property of the devil. And that is where the spiritual battle comes in, because the enemy of our souls is not content with that. He wants to win us back, tempt us back to his side. Cardinal Van Thuan, that Vietnamese cardinal who spent 13 years as a prisoner under the communists, used to say, that this is one of the signs of the true church of Christ. Persecution. used to say, you know, there's those four marks of the church, one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. No, one, it's one under Christ, one head in Jesus Christ, one communion through the sacraments, one body. Or we are holy because Christ is holy and he gives us his sacraments so that we can become holy or Catholic, universal, spread throughout the world, sent throughout the world, and he, apostolic, descending from the apostles, called to be apostles ourselves, but he said also, persecute. Christ, our head, is persecuted. We also enter into that possibility, right? And St. Paul famously also understood this clearly, his whole explanation there in Ephesians about the spiritual battle, the armor of Christ that we're supposed to take on. And the history of the church proves this battle is real, not just symbolic, right? Right? And pardon me with if I kind of go in briefly, but the apostles who heard these words, who received this gospel the first time, listen to this, right? This is good to remember every once in a while. It's a little macabre, so pardon me for this, but it's history and it's it's true. Every one of those first twelve who heard these words, other than John, suffered death for Christ, right? Peter, we know, crucified in Rome, James the Greater beheaded in Jerusalem. Andrew, crucified in an shaped cross. Bartholomew, unfortunately, skinned alive there in Armenia. Philip, stoned in Turkey. Thomas was speared to death in India. James the Lesser, hurled from the city walls of Jerusalem and then stoned, unfortunately. Jude was shot by arrows there in Persia. Matthew, burned to death. And Simon the Zealot, was cut to pieces in Georgia. So sorry for that macabre But This is our Hall of Fame, right, of Christians, right? It's a little little heavy. But Jesus, this was the result of them proclaiming the gospel, right? These are our forefathers, right? St. Paul, our church, right? What did he suffer? He gives his own list there in Corinthians of all the things that he suffered. Now, this has been maybe a, a little longer the first part, just to help us reflect, because we don't experience this persecution on a day-to-day basis. It can seem far away and not really something that, you know, if you're a good guy and you live the gospel, and generally people should like you, because you love everybody, right? That's what it means to be a Christian. But for so many, depending on the culture they live in, that is a sign that incites aggression. And more and more, brothers and sisters, I think none of us Are blind to the fact that it seems more and more in our own culture, the the more we live by Christian principles and speak of those and try to defend them, the more risk we run. But Jesus says, and this is really where our hearts need to focus, be not afraid. Be not afraid of these realities. Be not afraid of the possibility of suffering, of persecution, Jesus wants us to know that although it is demanding and he knows the risks, he is not a pessimist. In the gospel, he tells him three times, in just seven verses, don't be afraid. These are God's words to us, that we are to stay united to him, grounded in his friendship, assured of meaning and purpose and everlasting joy as we remain faithful and love him and share his words of everlasting life with everyone, that we are called to witness to that and understand that God's love is infinitely more powerful. As St. Paul said in today's second reading, now, for if by the transgression of the one man died, how much more the grace of God and the gracious gift of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow for the many. That overflowing happens in our life, right? Just like Jeremiah said after he's witnessed his betrayal around him. But the Lord is with me like a mighty champion. My persecutors will stumble. They will not triumph. The Lord is our champion too. He proved first when he rose from the dead, right? And invites us to live that same resurrected life. He's proved that in the lives of the saints and the lives of all these apostles that we talked about. They were willing to endure all of that for the prize set before them, for the transformative experience they had with Jesus, for the conviction that it was worth it to share this truth of everlasting life with their brothers and sisters because they had experienced it. They knew it to be true. They knew that if others believed, they also would be transformed. And so it was worth the risk. So brothers and sisters, let's pray for that grace in whatever ways we experience small or even some greater persecutions or living the gospel incites or creates challenges as we live it. Let's pray for the grace in this mass to be faithful to the Lord, generous with him, and also to keep our eyes with confidence on this prize and in trust in this promise of Jesus and this command of Jesus to not be afraid.